Hi everyone, I'm Ty Collins and welcome to the Lawrence University Career Center podcast, where we check in with Lawrence alum to find out what's happening in their careers and their lives. And today, we're joined by Harsimran Kalsi, a first-generation student from the class of 2020, where he earned degrees in biology and biochemistry. Here he's currently working towards his MD at the Medical College of Wisconsin. And if being a medical student wasn't enough, Harry's also a fellow and user advisory committee member with the International Space Station National Laboratory and is the founder and CEO of Auto Sciences, a biotech research company that works to accelerate scientific discovery, innovation, and commercialization. He recently received two prestigious honors being recognized as a Wisconsin Inno Under 25 awardee and a Titan 100 CEO. That was a lot to get through. Harry, thanks for joining us. Thank you for the kind intro, Ty. It's great to be here. So let's begin with the obvious question today. Why are you doing so many things? I get tired just reading it all. <laughs> uh, well, they say that the variety is the spice of life, but I might have overdone it with the paprika. <laughs> <laughs> There are a lot of reasons, but two really come to mind first. Um, firstly, it's easy for me to remember that life can be short and that we live in an amazing time period. So advances in tissue engineering and AI have the potential to wipe ravenous diseases off the map and increase global health span by decades. Tech and automation are changing the definition of human work. Innovations in the energy sector mean we could very likely develop negative emission technologies and provide resources for the entire planet. I mean, you can literally build a rocket to go to Mars or the moon and start a colony there. So whatever your goals, be it curing diseases, um, improving the planet, going to space, whatever else, you can build the team, raise the money and put shots on goal to build a future that your ancestors could only imagine. Um, so there's, there's so many exciting opportunities to explore. And if you're still alive, then that means you can still explore them and play the game. Secondly, I feel a responsibility to use the opportunities and resources that we have access to, to make the world a better place. Um, I think it's very easy to get comfortable and take for granted the opportunities we have to make massive impacts for others, especially since our brains aren't always well wired for empathy at a global scale. Um, but I feel I have an obligation to use my skills and resources to give back. So that kind of motivates me to, to be ambitious and there's a lot of work to be done. Well, let's start in the present and work our way backwards. Um, tell us about Otto, the organization you founded. The, the pace of scientific progress is slow, especially as it relates to healthcare. Uh, tell us about what you're doing to address this issue. Absolutely. So Auto Sciences is a deep tech company focused on accelerating the pace of scientific discovery and in particular, the pace of translational medicine. So if you've ever wondered how long it takes to cure a disease, it can take over 17 years for data on a lab bench to translate into clinical therapies used at a patient's bedside. Um, we're really focused on making a dent to this number, and we have multiple active pipelines to do so. It's worth mentioning we're not only focused on translational medicine, we also focus on non-clinical R&D as well. Uh, we initially started out as a two-sided marketplace that allows anyone to buy and sell scientific R&D services. So for instance, if you wanted to run an experiment on the International Space Station, we make it as easy as buying something on Amazon. Um, and actually, funny enough, we became the only marketplace on the planet that allowed anyone on Earth to buy an experiment in space. Um, the, the way we think about it is the reality is in the, the near future, the best science and technology will literally be at people's fingertips. 
the ability to design and order an experiment that's conducted in low Earth orbit or at an automated lab across the country will be as easy as ordering a delivery meal from your favorite restaurant. So through some generous grant funding, some of which came from Lawrence University, as well as the National Science Foundation, we were able to kind of explore the space and take a shot at making an impact. It took a decent amount of effort to start scaling our pilot platform initially, and then it started to catch its own momentum. Um, before long, we were revenue generating and we were able to scale our supply side capacity from $4,000 to a little over $3.7 million. Um, but most importantly, we really learned uh, immensely valuable lessons by getting our product in front of customers and engaging with them directly. So, you know, we were also accepted into multiple prestigious accelerator programs that have acceptance rates lower than getting accepted to schools like Harvard and Stanford. And we continue to raise non-dilutive funding through grants and pitch competitions. Um, we've received a lot of interest from equity investors. I've had countless meetings with angel investors and venture capitalists across the country. We've established some really great relationships that way, um, just continuing to, to grow our team over time. One program that we're particularly excited about has to do with utilizing technologies that didn't even exist three years ago to qualify preclinical candidates. Uh, the reason that's important has to do with the crazy statistics of therapeutics. So 12 out of 13 preclinical candidates fail at phase one clinical trials. Um, what makes this especially difficult is that you often have every rational reason to believe that all 13 should proceed to phase one. It's just that, you know, that's just what the preclinical data shows. They all look equally promising. Um, so if we can change that to even 11 out of 13 failing, then that would have a massive impact down the pipeline on our ability to cure diseases. This is an organization that you founded, you started. What, what does it take to start an organization from scratch or from nothing and grow it into something? So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, I love building teams and organizations, so we could talk about that for a while, but there's really th three things that are key in the early stages. Um, firstly, there's the governance side of it. So figuring out how you wanna structure it and run it. Is it nonprofit, for-profit, maybe some other model? Um, there's so many different considerations there. There are a lot of different organizational models that have their own pros and cons, depending on the problem that you want to solve. So you wanna do your research ahead of time before talking to legal so that you can have a meaningful and uh, efficient conversation. Secondly, you wanna to start to think about how you're gonna build your team. So take an honest look at your own personal strengths and weaknesses and think about what the perfect team would look like. Uh, it's important to note that you wanna keep a growth mindset. So don't think that your weaknesses will be there forever. You know, Use your team to get better and actually learn from them. Um, and there's some things that you can outsource, but you still want to stay on top of it yourself as a leader. For example, you know, you, you should know your numbers down cold just as well as your CFO does. So once you know your structure and, you know, who you want to build your team with, you'll often need to think about capitalization structures and financing. So meaning how are you going to infuse the right combination of financial resources to get the organization off the ground? In addition to running Otto, you're also a fellow and user advisory committee member with the International Space Station National Laboratory, which sounds very exciting. Tell us more about this. Absolutely. So I'm one of the I'm one of three fellows at the International Space Station National Laboratory. And just for some quick context, the International Space Station National Laboratory is a nonprofit entity created by Congress with the goal of ensuring that 50% of our resources in space are used for the benefit of US citizens back here on Earth. Uh, so NASA technically has no directive that requires them to utilize their resources in space for the benefit of Earth, meaning if they wanted to allocate like 100% of their resources to exploration, then in theory they could. 
Um, fortunately, NASA doesn't do this. In fact, there's an entire book called NASA Spinoffs that talks about the innovations NASA has made to improve our lives here on Earth. But anyways, Congress saw this as a potential conflict of interest. So they allowed ISS National Lab to manage 50% of our resources in space, including up mass, down mass, crew time, et cetera. So, you know, as a, as a U.S. citizen, you actually own a piece of the ISS. It's considered your neighborhood space station. Um, ISS also operates similarly to a national lab like Oak Ridge or Archon. Um, and, you know, for some, some added context here, now is a very exciting time for the space sector because we're seeing increased commercial activity. Uh, and it's kind of the start of a new era with the scheduled deorbiting of the ISS in 2030. So the development of commercial space stations in low Earth orbit, the massive reduction in launch costs thanks to innovations in space flight, um, the focus of the Artemis program on lunar destinations, there's just so much going on in the ecosystem. My fellowship project is entrepreneurial and focused on the financial markets and economics of space. So I identify the different stakeholders in the space ecosystem and interview them to better understand what they do, what their needs are, and what the future of space might look like. Um, this involves a lot of conversations with C-level executives at private space companies, space venture capitalists and private equity investors, as well as government officials. Uh, just last week, I had the opportunity to chat with the CEO of the world's face first space campus. It's essentially like the real life Starfleet Academy. Um, and next week, I'm chatting with the head of an investment fund with over uh, $100 million of assets under management. So it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, the second phase of the project will focus on developing solutions to the challenges found in phase one. Um, at the same time, I get to shadow the payload operations team at the ISS and see the back end of how do we organize the logistics of space work. Um, and as you mentioned, I was elected onto the user advisory committee, which basically provides recommendations on how the ISS should best use its resources for educational and commercial purposes. You said you were one of three fellows on this project. How does one get selected to this? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's an application process and you basically apply and it's just like, um, it's very similar to like a med school process where you have letters of recommendation, um, you submit those, you submit a personal statement. And um, I believe that was, you fill out an application and that was it. There was a lot of, um, for me personally, I was kind of networking at the time, which I think is something that a lot of students could maybe utilize to their advantage when they're applying for things like fellowships. I think that really helps. So we add all this up and we add one more thing to it. And that is you're also working towards your medical degree. How do you manage to manage all of these things? Yeah, I get this question a lot. And the short answer is that I love what I do. Uh, I know it may not be the most satisfying answer, but it's true. Uh, loving what I do in combination with a good task management system and prioritizing wellness are key. So I'm also fortunate that my medical school, Medical College of Wisconsin, has allowed me to have some flexibility and protected time for auto in my fellowship so I can pursue these interests. There is no typical day for me. So though, you know, networking and engaging with cool people is a constant that never goes away. That's actually the same day to day. But to answer your question about how to manage different responsibilities, I'm a big fan of Y Combinator's method of managing your tasks and priorities. So you start by defining a weekly KPI for the different projects that you're working on. Uh, and then you, you have a three column table that you use to keep track of your different tasks. The first column lists the task. The second column lists 
uh, the complexity of the task. So either low, medium, or high. Low complexity means something that can be done in less than 24 hours. And the final column lists the, the impact of the task on your weekly KPI as either low, medium, or high. So tasks that are low complexity and high impact are completed first, regardless of the project that you're on. Uh, and then you move from there to you know, medium complexity, high impact, and so on as you need. So I also try to enjoy the process of working rather than the outcomes of work as best as I can. Um, this kind of helps build a resilient like work ethic without feeling burnt out or unfulfilled once a project is done. And something that I do now that I didn't do as much when I was a student is to make sure I make time for my own physical and mental wellness. I, I prioritize sleep and make sure I exercise multiple times a week. Um, love mindfulness meditation, spending time in nature, uh, and just, you know, taking time to do things that I enjoy, like cooking or watching a movie or a show and socializing with friends. While you were here at Lawrence, you visited the Career Center um, somewhat frequently. So I got a chance to know you a little bit during your time here. And I got to see just how busy you were while you were a college student between classes and summer research, uh, student organizations like AMSA, Makerspace, GlobeMed, um, Neuro Lawrence, just to name some. Did the pace of Lawrence help prepare you for everything that's going on in your life today? And how did Lawrence prepare you to manage time and priorities? I would say Lawrence did help prepare me to an extent. And I'll also say that the real world is often different from the bubble of academia. So let's let's look at like how, how it did help. So in terms of workload and managing competing priorities, my Lawrence experience was exceptionally helpful. Um, you know, student organizations helped me understand how to better interact with teams outside of a classroom setting. Um, there was one point at Lawrence when I took three lab classes and an independent study that was research focused all at the same time. I would not recommend a student do that as it's quite challenging, but that helped me understand more about my workload and test my limits. Uh, so in terms of like balancing work and collaborating with people, the Lawrence experience was really helpful. Um, there are a few places where the real world differs a little bit. So if you want to succeed in academia, then you need to be very good at filling out applications and passing standardized tests. Uh, in the real world, those skills can get you far, but depending on your ambitions, you might hit a limit where applying for something or getting certified for something isn't really gonna solve what you want. Um, so instead you might need to do things that require far more like, generalized intelligence, you know, or just being a force of nature. So you know, getting out of the building and talking to people, building stuff, etc. So I, I actually would encourage every student to try their hand at entrepreneurship at some point during college. Just try launching one business model. Um, it can be something really simple. The reason being that it not only teaches you a lot about the real world, but it also gives you a masterclass in skills like networking and interpersonal interaction that are harder to learn in a classroom. And it doesn't matter if you're an art major or a STEM major, you will learn valuable skills. So you made good use of your summers while you were at Lawrence doing research at Medical College of Wisconsin, um, Marquette University, and the National Science Foundation. How important is it for students in the sciences to get that summer research experience when considering their post-Lawrence plans? Absolutely. I think uh, it doesn't actually even matter like what major you're studying or what college you go to, taking advantage of summer internships and summer opportunities as much as you can. Um, there are programs that are specially designed for a college student's summer that can give you such a massive boost in terms of networking, capital, and prestige. 
um, opportunities that actually can become harder to access after you leave college. So use those experiences to hone your networking skills, build your network and explore what you want to do. That's what I would recommend. Um, I can't stress how important the networking potential is, regardless of the sector. Uh, it's helpful if you if you want to go to grad school, if you want to start your own nonprofit, if you want to start your own hedge fund, whatever the case. Um, if you think you want to do a PhD, then maybe consider an internship at a private sector company, since you've probably already done some research in the academic setting. Um, explore internships in management consulting, investment banking, entrepreneurship. These internships have the potential to teach you a lot about how the world works and typically pay five to six times as much as research internships. Um, so all around, I would encourage students to definitely take advantage of these opportunities and, and work with the Career Center for sure. So we touched on this a little earlier, but if you could speak to the most rewarding part of your work, the parts you find most difficult, and what students who plan to work in the sciences should be doing now to best prepare themselves for the future? Yeah, working with cool people is a huge perk. I get to meet so many interesting people who have done and are doing amazing things, and it's very inspiring to work with them. Uh, I love being able to wake up every day and learn new things, work on problems that I care about, and use my skills for good. Um, those things are very rewarding to me. The, the difficult part is balancing exploring opportunities and saying no to other opportunities. After a certain point, you start to be overwhelmed with potential areas of opportunity that you can explore. And, you know, you can't be too narrow and put your eggs all in one basket, but, and, and only explore one thing, but you also can't spread yourself too thin. So, you know, finding that balance is key. And sometimes that can be difficult. If, if a student wants to work in the sciences, I'd highly recommend they do, you know, two things. One, just learn as much as you can about disparate scientific fields. There's a lot of hyper-specialization going on right now, but some of the most important innovations come from people who can synthesize ideas from multiple fields. And two, you know, talk to as many sci other scientists as you can. You know, your peers, thought leaders, people with massive H indexes and massively funded labs, reach out to them, tell them you're a student and that you're interested in exploring a career in the sciences and that you're interested in learning more about their career tra trajectory over maybe like a 20 minute virtual coffee. Uh, maybe they can become your mentor and, you know, at least you'll be around people building and defining the field, which could prepare you for the future. And I think that that last piece about building a really good mentor network could apply for any major, not just the sciences. What about some things you'd wished Lawrence had taught you, but they didn't? What do you wish you had known? Yeah, this is a good question. And higher education as a whole is changing. So this is another, you know, unique aspect of the time we're in right now. Uh, this, this metric inherently relies on an expectation of, of value. So it might be best to quantify that expectation. So like rephrased, we could approach the question as how much value should Lawrence have provided me and where did they fall short and maybe could improve? So I'll take a slightly like different approach to answering this question than maybe other guests might. Um, so first of all, let's quantify expected value from like a rational perspective. So stu students are paying the university almost $60,000 a year with the expectation that experiences, connections, and degrees that the university provides them will be worth some ROI, return on investment. Just like any, any other investment in any other security or asset class, a rational actor would want to quantify the ROI of an investment of almost $240,000 in four years of time. So they would then compare that with 
placing the same amount of time and money into other assets like, you know, or securities like the S&P, for instance, or starting their own business right out of high school. Um, you know, imagine if someone gave you a quarter of a million dollars and told you that you have four years to figure out how to spend it and learn from it. You know, what would you do? So in order to 2x my investment within 10 years of matriculation, Lawrence University would need to provide about half a million dollars in value. So how can Lawrence best do this? How can you as a student get the best value for your money? So in my opinion, the first way involves leveraging its required freshman studies curriculum to generate real ROI for students. Uh, the freshman studies curriculum, I think, could strongly benefit from incorporating information about the financial markets and financial literacy. Regardless of your major, for better or worse, the financial markets underlie the vast majority of games you will encounter in your lifetime. Uh, one of the best ways to provide return on investment to students almost paying $60,000 a year is to ensure they're set up for financial success during and after college. So it's one thing to understand what a Roth IRA is and, you know, the importance of an emergency fund, but it's another to understand how investment funds and banks influence your thing, your life from things like buying a house to, you know, understanding how health insurance works. Also, if you want to change the system, you've got to put in the work to understand the system. Freshman studies is about 20 weeks long with roughly 60 classroom sessions, not including the guest speaker series. So I'm sure you know, two sessions could be allocated to this topic or at least one guest lecture. I also would have loved it if there was a required like two or three sessions where students are made aware of emerging career opportunities and open discussions about salaries and, you know, the lifestyles of career paths. Um, the same class could also teach students techniques and networking and more. Uh, and finally, I think the freshman studies curriculum could, you know, strongly benefit from incorporating discussions on the topic of how science can, does, and will continue to inform our ideas about morality. Uh, this is especially important given advances occurring in neuroscience, AI, and technology. So these discussions about how do we define morality are incredibly important as we venture into a future with AI, longevity, genetic engineering, and other technologies, but simultaneously a future with problems such as climate change and profound wealth inequality. Looking into the future, where do you see yourself going? You've obviously got the medical degree in progress. You've also got your own other endeavors in the works. What's all going to happen? Yeah, it's really hard to tell at the moment. Uh, you know, I, I just want to cure diseases, make the world a better place and work on cool stuff. You know, one of my primary personal KPIs is impact. And I like to evaluate my options from that metric. So a 30-year career in medicine can allow you to impact approximately 30,000 lives. Uh, a biotech entrepreneur targeting a single rare orphan disease that large pharmaceutical giants aren't as concerned about due to like economic reasons, he or she has the ability to impact up to 200,000 lives and often much more even. Oftentimes that can compound long after the entrepreneur or doctor has retired or expired. So, you know, it's a gift that keeps on giving for generations of humanity. So I don't really have a perfect answer to your question, but what I do know is that I want to collaborate with ambitious people and, you know, work on making the world a better place. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience today before we wrap things up? Uh, I would say three things. Uh, the first is surround yourself with people who have done some of the things that you want to do. So build a great group of mentors and advisors to support you. Um, you know, master the art of networking and making friends. I have in-person and virtual coffees once a month or once a quarter with mentors that I've gained over the years. 
So having people in your corner who understand what you're doing and how to help is incredibly valuable. Um, secondly, you know, ambitious students and you know, pre-medical students in particular, you know, they can often run the risk of tying their sense of self-worth to their achievements, accolades, and accomplishments. It's certainly worth acknowledging the hard work that you've done, but I'd caution you against directly tying your self-worth to your achievements. Uh, there's this great quote by the Dalai Lama uh, where he says, you are worthy just by being, you know, let that sink in. And finally, another quote that I loved is, you know, live the life of your dreams every day. Uh, it's profound on so many levels, and there's an immense amount of clarity that can be derived from both paying attention to the present moment and kind of meditating on your own mortality. So if you're still alive, then make the most of every day that you still have. Harry, I think that's great advice for students of all ages. And uh, I've known you for a couple of years now. I'm convinced that uh, great things will come to the world because of you. And I think every student who listens to this podcast will also come to that conclusion that we will be hearing and seeing a lot more from you and about you in the years and decades ahead. So uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we did speak uh, before we began the show. Uh, you are willing to talk to students. They can reach out to you via LinkedIn. So I will include your LinkedIn address in the description of this podcast. So once again, thank you, Harry, for joining us on the Lawrence University Career Center podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me, Ty. This was fun.